That's me on the podcast Sharing a song With something to say about it With Thin Lear And Diagra Moon Losing my opinion Hey, Thin Lear, buddy old pal, how you doing today? I'm tired. You say that every time. I, well, I guess I'm always tired. I drove back from the middle of the woods where... Mm-hmm. Do you live in the middle of the woods? Is that what Massachusetts is? Is it just... I live in the valley. I live on the edge of the woods. But Massachusetts, yep, very rural. Wow. You, you went to a very rural part, I must say, for your show. Thin Lear played a show in the... Berkshires? Did I pronounce that correctly? Yes. Yeah, I was calling it Berkshires, it. like uh, Lord of the Rings, but no, Berkshires. And then I spent the whole time trying to remember what song references the Berkshires from Stockbridge to Boston. James, to Taylor. James Taylor. Right. It took me like three days to figure that out. But if our listeners were curious this past week, played a show there, Thomas was there. I was. I brought my mom. With his lovely mom, who's <laughs> was very similar to him and a uh, very sweet person. So that was great to to meet them. And it was a fun show. And we got to yeah. stay in a barn uh, for free. So that was probably one of the most attractive uh, uh, shows that we've played in a while. Come for the food, stay for the barn. Stay for the barn. That's right. Uh, yeah, that was a neat little uh, venue you played there. I hadn't uh, heard Thin Lear play live before, so that was a lot of fun. And you're, you're going to come out to my next show, right? You're going to drive uh, mm-hmm. three and a half hours up here. Yeah, that's right. A little tip for tell. Tell me when, anytime, anywhere. Yep, get the baby in the car seat. We're headed out. Well, for now, we can at least podcast together. This is uh, losing my opinion. I am unwashed and somewhat slightly dazed. Indie artist Niagara Moon, a.k.a. Thomas. I am clean clear-eyed, focused, not tired, uh, indie musician, Thin Lear, a.k.a. Matt Longo. But today I'm only going to be Thin Lear, and we're going to tell you why. Oh, are we? You want to tell him why, Thomas? Uh, Yes, Thin Lear. Today we have a second Matt, a Matt of 1,000 podcasts, Mm. uh, an OG of Geekscape, and a co-host of a podcast I'm very much jealous of, One Hit Thunder, great premise for that show, and Thomas Dolbley fan, we got Matt Kelly here today. Hey, it's Matt Kelly. Uh, I host too many shows. <laughs> well, <laughs> thank you for uh, extending the invite. Excited to be here. I'm excited to uh, try to change your minds on some certain things and also just talk music. Hell yeah. I love to hear that we all had like a traveling weekend. So from Saturday to this point, I traveled to four different cities. <laughs> And recorded over 40 podcasts. Uh, what? Was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, we're about to hit summer, and I do podcasts with ba- people who are in bands that, like, play shows throughout the summer. Mm-hmm. First of all, Weedus was playing right by my house. I do a show with their bass player about Weird Al. So we recorded a bunch of episodes of that before they leave for their Europe tour in September. Then I drove to Pittsburgh. Uh, Chris and I recorded 30 episodes of One Hit Thunder and the Patreon episodes of One Hit Thunder. Uh, came home just in time to drive to Baltimore to record 10 episodes of the Christmas podcast that I do. Uh, and then uh, came back home, uh, went to a concert in New Jersey called the Symposium of Supervillainy. And oh then today God. recorded a bunch of horror movie night episodes. So, uh, Then Lee, are you getting inspired here? <laughs> Do you, uh, no, just maybe sort of anxiety for him. <laughs> Do you ever forget uh, who you are after a day of recording 30 podcasts? Here's, 
here's the benefit. It's hard for me to forget who I am because Matt Kelly is like probably one of the five most common first last name combos in the world. Mm. Uh, so there's always someone that I'll bump into to remind me of my identity. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so. Wow. Uh, well, thank you very much for coming on this little show. Uh, I'm psyched to get your your takes and your thoughts here today. I think you'll really be simpatico with us in our, our quest to uh, just have oddball, kind of strange, unusual musical takes. And, and, you know, we relish in surprising the other people with what we come in with, uh, the songs we want to share. Of course, nobody knows what to expect from the other. No, and I like that right. Matt's coming in with an argument. He said it's an argument. He's going to try to change yeah. our minds. So that makes me feel like it's something where he's got to push us, and that's always good. Potentially. I don't know. I don't know. what We'll see. You might agree with me, and then the episode, the conversation's like two minutes. But, uh, <laughs> sure. Can always think, happen. And that <laughs> does I'm, happen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I'm bringing a, a topic that I know I've been told I'm uh, alone in this. <laughs> so. Usually makes for a good episode if you're by yourself. Yeah. 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 Well, we'll see how it all shakes out. Um, I am going to kick things off today. Uh, I think we'll have some fun here. This is not, nothing too nothing too serious. We're going to have some some lighthearted chuckles here. I was thinking back to a time, fair amount of years ago at this point, but I was at the after party of a wedding. Um, you know, it's later at night. It was a beautiful reception, lovely day, and then we're all uh, in the lobby of a local hotel. And uh, we're having a good time having some drinks. Somebody's got a guitar, acoustic guitar. Uh, we're doing, you know, some sing-alongs. They're, they're playing some Tangled Up in Blue. They're playing some Stones. Uh, we're having a good time. And then this guy, very talented guitar player, he starts playing a Jethro Tull song. And I forget if it was maybe, you know, the first part of Thick as a Brick or <laughs> Life's a Long Song, but there was just this collective reaction of, I don't know what to do with that. Sure. Like suddenly it was like he was immediately by himself and everybody was like, does not compute. And I was thinking recently where I stand on Jethro Tull. It's kind of hard for me to pin down. I revisited them recently while I was at the gym. And They're perfect gym music for sure. They are decent gym music. <laughs> I know Thin Lear might think that's crazy, but uh, <laughs> I'm, so I want to explore <laughs> the weirdness that is Jethro Tull. And my primary argument is they are the weirdest classic rock band. That's not bad. That's not bad. I think, I think the first thing we need to establish, though, because part of me says I agree with you, but we're also in a time and place where 90s bands are starting to show right. up on classic rock. So what what are we designating classic rock? Exactly. The specific rock of the 70s? Or what is anything that's currently appearing on classic rock radio? Right. What are, what are we talking about by classic rock? So yeah, I'm not thinking about the '90s. I'm talking about that initial '60s, '70s breakout rock and roll classic rock, like the Led Zeppelin, the Queen, the Pink Floyd, the Yes. Okay. Is it on the radio station that plays in the delis of the supermarkets of the world? Okay. Yeah. And if it, if it is, if it is then it's classic rock enough. And if it ain't, yeah. then it's not. <laughs> because I was going to say, if, if we're including just what is now radio classic rock, which goes all the way into the mid-90s, I'd be like, I don't know, Jackal exists. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, no, we're not talking about Ween. No, none of those. <laughs> no, we're talking about the, the whatever the term might be, the first yeah, wave. Yeah, the first, well, I think which first might have been Jerry Lee Lewis. is the perfect way to describe it. I think everyone knows what that is. Jethro Tull. So they are, they're capital C- classic rock if you google classic rock if you think of the big acts of that era they are on that list are they not oh 100 percent. yeah they have aqualung i mean 
Aqualung. Jeez. That's a fucking weird song. Off the bat, that's... <laughs> song and record. And that record, I would stand behind that record. I'd stand behind Aqualung and Thick as a Brick. I think those are both great albums. I think Thick as a Brick is a little more esoteric, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah? You know, they're both, they're both really good albums. And those dudes knew how to rock. Like, if you see them on Rock and Roll Circus, that's a great performance. It's pretty impassioned, yeah. Yeah, so it's like... I'm not the biggest Toll guy. There's a lot of their songs that kind of just bounce off of me. But when I like them, I do quite like them. And I just, I want to kind of peg them. I, they're, they're an outlier. They're bizarre. Yeah. It's weird to think that they came from the era they came from. Trying to pin down like what's their core kind of emblematic sound is hard to do. So I guess y'all, uh, it sounds like you agreed with my, my first argument. So y'all are just going to help me kind of process my thoughts yeah, here today. Like, I, I just Googled classic rock bands just to get kind of a, a vibe of what else was out there, just in case there's anyone that I'm forgetting. And sure. I mean, there's no, I mean, yes, there are the ones that I said, like Nirvana shows up on this list and, and Guns N' Roses and Metallica. Yeah. But beyond those three, it's pretty much exactly who you imagine. The only group that sticks out to me as could be on the same conversation of weirdest classic rock group yeah as i see genesis here and uh, i think peter yeah. gabriel era genesis is pretty up there i mean you have like <sighs> peter gabriel dressed as a flower on stage singing these like seven minute <laughs> oh, <laughs> like boy. prog rock soliloquies about about stuff but but I also, that's not really like, that's not, when people think of Genesis, they don't think of that era of Genesis sure, that much. Sure, sure. So, yeah, you're talking like nursery, nursery crime and that sort of. Yeah, stuff like that. I think I think as far as when when you say the name, people think of the era that we're talking about. Jethro Tull, I think, is the one that somehow against all odds was a radio success with the weirdness um, where, you know, Genesis really didn't start to get that radio success until Phil uh, took over vocals and just started writing some straight 80s pop bangers. Yeah. yeah. Duke. I'm into Duke. I had a <laughs> Niagara Moon fan get me into Duke a while back. That's That's got some Duke is a numbers. great... I mean, look, cliche as it is, Invisible Touch, even the non-radio songs are... Fit, like, that is just like eight perfect tracks, in my opinion. But we're not talking about Genesis. We're talking about yeah, Jethro Tull. talking about Jethro Tull. <laughs> Genesis, you know, I don't know a ton of Genesis. I don't know a ton of the Peter Gabriel era, but... When I think of like a Genesis, because people call Jethro Tull progressive rock. So, okay, yeah. the big guys in progressive rock, I think, yes, Genesis, King Crimson. I could be wrong, but those are all tighter, kind of sharper, drier sounds. Like they're the polyrhythms and that there's a certain, I feel like there's a through line sonically with those groups. But then Jethro Tull is over in the corner. Half the time they sound like they're out of the Middle Ages. <laughs> The flute. Yeah. He's got a trench coat. He's standing on one leg. It's a freak show, and it's it's very interesting. I at this point, let's just crack into uh, the first couple of minutes of thick of thick as a brick. I think that might be one of my favorites, and that'll a good one. get us in in the toll zone here. It's a good one. I mean, they got the, they have a lead flautist. You know that immediately yeah. sort of sets them apart. Yeah, they don't they don't live. You know, I get Matt's point. Like they, they I think the thing that sets them apart is they they can live comfortably in sort of the prog world and the prog conversation and also the classic rock conversation. I think like, you know, like, yes, I, I think there's elements of the classic rock in there. People would argue that it's somewhat classic rock, but I think if, if you were to categorize a band like that or Rush or whatever, it's like, this is more prog 
This is leading towards Prague. Uh, so I am still, I got nothing here, but I do agree. I know Aqualung, obviously. You can't, like, not know that song. Yeah. It, they. Anytime I've heard a Jethro Tull song, I've been like, that's really weird. Who is that? I Shazam it. Nine times out of ten, the answer is Jethro Tull. Yep. <laughs> All right. Let's dig into uh, Thick as a Brick. We're not going to listen to the full 44 minutes. We're not? Oh, from this oh no. Farce of a Monty Python-inspired class concept album, but... I do love these these first few minutes here. The f- the first part of the suite, I think this is Really don't mind if you sit this one out. My words but a whisper, deafness a shout. Oh, when the band comes in there. I may make you feel that I can't make you think Your sperm's in the gutter, your love's in the sink So you ride yourselves over the fields And you make all your animal deals And your wise men don't know how it Thick as a brick. Then, Lear, you got a little smirk going on. I like this, but I would never try to convince anyone else to enjoy it. I I like this as well, but I guess what I'm also going through in my head is kind of what was the kickoff of this whole thing, which is like, I don't care how much you like Jethro Tull. At what point do you think that this is what an after party at a wedding wants to hear you play? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's probably fun to play on guitar. But you need shoes this reminds me of that song Taxi by Mary Chamberlain. A little sure. bit. I don't know that one. Yeah, no, there's, there's there are strong folk elements to their yeah. music. I mean they go more medieval. <laughs> I mean I think the flute makes it feel more medieval than it probably actually is, but um no, I I mean I'm into it. Yeah, I think you may have legitimately convinced me to just throw some Jethro Tall onto a Spotify playlist tomorrow and check it out deeper than the one song I know by them. I mean, they have like a bajillion albums. There's a lot to sift through, uh, most of it with terrible album covers. Oh. Stormwatch. And <laughs> oh, I don't know. There's some good ones Warchild in there. Child and, oh man, they have a lot of bad offenders there. Jtoll.com. That's, that's quite a look. Although, you know, all bets were off in the 90s. <laughs> Yeah, they, uh, they're super prolific. Like I said, not all of it works for me. But uh, I, you know what? My, my other argument here, I like them best. I think they're at their strongest and most distinct when they have the folk thing going on. I, th- I think that's they really sit well in that pocket. And you get some of that with uh, what we just heard, I, th- I feel like. So let me ask, like, you know, they are listed as classic rock. And I enjoyed that song quite a bit. It was a little bit more folky than I expected. Is there any song that you would put on that's like, this is kind of like a kick-you-in-the-ass rock and roll song as well? Yes, Or please. is it more chilled out? Yes. They have plenty of those <laughs> can I, kinds of songs, yeah. Can yeah, I... What, what do you got? Loco, <laughs> Go locomotive Breath, please. We have to play Locomotive Breath. That song is fantastic. 
All right, because you asked. I was going to play uh, Inside. I really like uh, the tune Inside from the album Benefit. He, wa- he, wants, he, he wants a balls out rocker. Yeah, we'll go for the balls out. Locomotive <laughs> Breath. So that's from, of course, uh, Aqualung. Oh, I love this song. 1971. Not really a concept album. Yeah, what's the concept? A dude flashing people on the street? Yeah, it's not much a of a concept. pervert in the park. Yeah, yeah that's basically the concept. <laughs> When they really try to rock, it just sounds like Austin Powers to me. Oh, man. Ooh, but, <laughs> you're selling me. I want to hear this. It's so good. That's not necessarily a bad thing, I guess. Also, apparently they put out a Christmas album in the 2000s that I'm very interested in. Now. They've done everything. They just had a new album come out this uh, last year. I saw that. They put yeah. out two albums in the last two years. That's insane. They're back. <laughs> All right. Locomotive Breath. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to hear a sort of the harder rock and uh, blues-inspired Right. side of I'm these guys st- here. I'm stoked. Per uh, Longo's request. This wasn't my idea. Yeah, oh, no, I st- yeah, put my stamp on this. This song's great. So we've maybe heard of the acid test. Does this pass the deli test? <laughs> yes, 100% this passes the deli test. Yeah, I would rock to this when it came on. Here it is. Was it? Yeah. Anderson, you know, the main guy, songwriter, singer, flautist, he'd only been playing flute for two weeks uh, by the time Death Row Toll started. That kind of makes I sense. Think that's pretty impressive. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> They've always been like this blind spot because I grew up on like my parents listening to classic rock radio and I was never like, like I was a kid who grew up on like punk and ska and grunge, but like I was never one of those people that's like, well, this is my music and thus everything before this is garbage. Like I always. I think since I was like three, one of my favorite albums of all time was Meatloaf's Bad Out of Hell. Like I just, I've always oh. loved that era of music, but Jethro Tull has always been the blind spot for me. So they're perpetual outsiders. Yeah. They just really yeah. don't 
There's no other band that's like, oh yeah, you can kind of lump those two together easily. I like, mean, I wonder if that's why you slippery. don't hear them as much. As like, imagine the job of being a radio DJ and trying to figure out what band you go to next after a Jethro Tull song. Yeah. <laughs> it's like because, and it's also it depends on what kind of Jethro Tull. Are you talking yeah. like we said, you know, Aqualung classic blues riff, or are you talking freaking? Don't wanna be a fat man. Like they, yeah, it's hard all to over the map. One. And then bungle in the jungles, goofy. Bungle <laughs> in the jungle. Uh, <laughs> wait, so you brought up ELP, and I think that's a good point because, like, you know, I think there are probably some listeners that'd be like, "Wait, don't these dudes hate Mm-mm. this style of music?" What yes, separates yes. ELP from this? My opinion is this is fun. ELP it's at all times they're showing you how good they are at their instruments Death Rattle takes a lot of time to be like yeah we're just kind of jamming this part out it is like it's not so precious yeah it's messier I feel like the songs are there more sure like I well they're shorter uh, often sure I really I appreciate their softer folk rock side the most I I was going to show the song inside but that got usurped uh, we can we can end things off here with uh, another track off of Aqualung that I feel like is a good representation of the band, or at least one side of them. Uh, it's a bonkers tune, uh, Mother Goose. Okay. That's good. Matt, you're smirking again. No, that's good. That's good. That's a good choice. Yeah, this album, Matt, I think if you're going to try to dig into them, like just start with Aqualung. I, I think that makes the most sense. You know the one song already. and Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm ready for this. To, so about a year and a half ago... On One Hit Thunder, we did an episode on the Grateful Dead, a group that I was like very publicly like, I don't like the dead. They're not for me. Um, mm. Then after that episode came out and I said, ah, I mean, Touch of Grey is fine. I'm sure there's a couple others. Uh, a listener literally sent me a Spotify playlist that they had made of like their 15 favorite Grateful Dead songs. And now I own like six of their albums. Like I was like, OK, Holy yeah. shit. so so I think Jethro Tull, maybe if that was if that was the group I really got into in 2022, maybe 2023 is the year of Jethro Tull for me. <laughs> <laughs> the year of Tull. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about two bands that have a million studio albums. Yeah. yeah. Just decades of, so it's, you know, and you like, can find some angle to get into. Kind of survived by a very devoted niche audience. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, like that made up for the lack of radio airplay was always how loyal their their audience was. So, Matt, I was, I think, I think there's an A to B there. <laughs> sure. I was, I was listening to uh, Uncle John's band a couple of years ago and, uh, I was in the kitchen washing dishes and my wife comes in and she's like, can you please turn that off? It's like, what is this? This is like five guys harmonizing with each other and nobody knows how to sing. My mom hates that song too. <laughs> Could not stop laughing. Could not, because she's not wrong. I mean, I like it. <laughs> they're they're wobbly like, on that one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're all over the place. Nobody's on the root note. They're all just like swimming around each other. It's good stuff. Uh, but yes, back to old JT. Uh, Jethro Tull, of course, named after the very famous uh, 18th century British agriculturalist. Yeah, we all know that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're talking about the the flu and everything, but their lyrics are always strange and kind of goofy and very obtuse, but yeah. very memorable. And I maybe you can you're, – you're a lyrics guy, uh, Thin Lear. Well uh, – You can try to help me decipher this one. He writes on. a lot about perverts. Uh, Ian Anderson said that he uh, – Suspiciously, a lot about perverts. He he said famously said that uh, Led Zeppelin would be like an even better band if he were the lyricist, which I always found hysterical because like uh, you know Led Zeppelin, Robert Plant writes about like you know the Shire 
and Frodo yeah. and stuff. And it's like, I don't see that much of a difference. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, I think it would be, it would be an A to A. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. So I turned her loose as she was screaming And a foreign student said to me Was it really true? There are elephants and lions too In Piccadilly Circus So weird. Yeah, this is not gonna this is not gonna sway any minds. This is more of like a deep cut, I think. Deep cut. I figured we were ready. It's not again. I'm not a super fan of this band. I don't really have an agenda. I'm just. This is all just pure curiosity. The Jethro Tull agenda. I mean, I actually am really digging this song, but I also like this song more than any other song has really made me understand why they were such an easy punching bag in like the '80s and '90s for. For like any show that made jokes about music, it's like yeah, this is they're they're pretty easy to punch down on comparatively. <laughs> like, it's the Dungeons and Dragons vibe. It yeah. really is. I'm like looking at you know like the Wikipedia page has the legacy, and you know some of these shock me, some of these don't. Like people who are inspired by them, so it's like Iron Maiden, Wasp. I don't really hear any Wasp in there. No, but then what? like. Eddie Vedder, Dream Theater, like, yeah, I can hear that. Sure. Rush, I can hear that. Um, Nick Cave? Apparently Nick Cave is, like, a what? massive Jethro Tall fan. Hmm. Weird. Uh, yeah, that's that's my, um, how I'm going to cap the segment. Weird. Weird band, just weird to think about them. Flute is weird. The singer's weird. Selection of genres that they... Uh, that they pl- play with and, and how they mix things together. It's all odd. Uh, and it's, but it's kind of cool. And it's, it's something to check out. Yeah. That's what I say. I don't, I don't love all the dance around the Maypole <laughs> songs that they have. Like those, I don't, I, I like some of them, but really like, I think when they are in that early seventies to mid seventies period, or even earlier than that, like song for Jeffrey, like where there's sort of this amalgamation of like bluesy, Brit rock. Cream with flute. Yeah, and there's the flute, and it's a yeah. little folky. Like, when they get to that place of a Venn diagram, the center of all those places, like, they make a sound that nobody else makes. And I think that that's what sets them apart. I think when they get too medieval, <laughs> I'm not on that train with them anymore. I, I mean, I'm definitely ready to dive into a little bit more. I, uh, uh, all three songs I heard today are songs that I would enjoy. So, so right. I'm ready to uh, give Tall a spin. Well, there you have it. <laughs> Uh, I'm pretty satisfied with that, um, but I want to know, Matt, what have you been listening to this week? Losing my opinion. Here's where I'm going to give you guys a choice, and then I'm probably not going to listen to your answer <laughs> one fine. way or the other, because I'm pretty sure I know where I want to go with this. Uh, so I was torn. I had two different takes I wanted to bring up. 
Take number one was tied to Weird Al Yankovic. I think my Weird Al take is very mild. Uh, mm. I think the Weezer Green Day one is an extremely hot take. Give us the hot take, I think. Let's right? get hot, yeah. yeah. Um, why am I bringing up Weird Al? Well, I do a podcast called Weird Algorithm, uh, where myself and Matt Milligan of the band Weedus are breaking down all of Weird Al songs in order of release. Uh, and we're already, after a year, halfway through the man's career. Oh, wow. And it made us wonder, well, where do we go next? What, what artist do we do this with next? Uh, and we talked about it being two, one of two bands that we feel like have been unfairly discredited over all these years, Weezer and Green Day. Um, and my, my take is this. I truly don't believe that either of those bands have ever put out a bad album. I just think that our bar for them is very high from where their start was. But the worst album by either one of those artists is probably on par or as good as some of the best albums by any other band in the genre. Wow. Whoa, that is <laughs> piping hot. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's a piping hot take. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's hot to the touch. I will say that I, like, okay, with Weezer, right? Like, there are the few albums that I absolutely love, yeah. the same ones everyone does. Then I think uh, Maladroit is a great record that's kind of underrated. Then there's that Beverly Hills one Beverly where I kind Hills. of was like, oh, this is starting to be shit. I like that song. And then I just kind of stopped listening. So I am, I am, you know, of the opinion that you just said, but I can't, you know, now that you're saying it, like, it's, it's sort of uh, without merit, the opinion I have, because I haven't listened to their latest records. They might be amazing. So, all right. So here, uh, this is going to really help me. I know where I'm going to start song-wise. Um, so the album Make Believe, prime example, right? Uh, this is a album that people have almost unanimously declared being the worst Weezer album. Um and I think it's strictly because of the existence of the song Beverly Hills. Uh, it's terrible. It's a good song. I, and, I, and look, <laughs> Beverly Hills is fine. I, so I started listening to a podcast called What's With These Homies talking about Weezer, uh, where he's been reviewing every album. And he, he makes a good point. He goes, look, everyone shits on Beverly Hills all day long. You go to see Weezer Live where it's all diehard Weezer fans, though. And guess what song they're singing at the top of their lungs when mm -hmm. they play it? Like, it's a catchy yep. pop song, whether you like it or not. Um, I think it's the worst song on the album. Literally the very next song on that album is a song called Perfect Situation that I believe is the best song Weezer's ever recorded on the same Holy album shit. as Beverly Hills. Uh, and I think that this song hits everything that you've loved about Weezer from Pinkerton and the Blue Album, uh, but people don't pay attention to it because they hear Beverly Hills and then turn, turn the dial. <laughs> That's what I did. Yeah. Yeah. So let's uh, let's give Perfect Situation a spin. Do you find that people? Because I loved the Green album. Like, do people love the Green album, or is that also a point of contention? Because <laughs> I've brought that up to some Weezer people, and they're like, "Oh, it's, it's not necessarily considered part of the classic canon of Weezer record." I, th I think what happened was when the Green album came out, everyone was like, "This is the worst thing they've ever put out," and then they had twenty more years of career, and now like. <laughs> Wrote, like it's, just <laughs> it's like, amazing. <laughs> so I think that the Green Album is really fun. It's really fast. I think the song like Photograph, I think Photograph is a great song. Um, yeah. Something I never noticed is that every song on that album is built with the exact same structure, which is that it's verse, chorus, verse, chorus, and then a guitar solo that plays the verse melody and then repeat chorus. Like every Hashpipe's guitar solo is just the melody, the verse line melody. Island in the Sun, verse, Great song. <laughs> verse melody, 
photograph verse melody. Uh, and I feel yeah. like that's that says a lot to me is like Rivers just knows how to construct. He he figures out things where he goes, ooh, I think this is what would be a good pop song. And then he tries to replicate it. And we're talking about a man who writes songs through spreadsheets at this point Yeah, in time. you hear like, the gears turning a lot. <laughs> yeah, like he's, he's really thinking He's just about trying it. to construct radio hits. And, you know, maybe that's not what we want. But I we'll start here. We'll start with Perfect right. Situation. And then I've got another example for you. I was just thinking that. I, like, I, this could totally be on the Green Album. I was going to say, I only know the Blue Album, really. If you put this on the Blue Album, it's not going to stick out to me, necessarily. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that this is like a prime example of like so much new Weezer sounds like this. And I think that this stuff stacks up with everything else that we, like any other band putting this song out, you'd be like, this is the song of the summer or whatever. But because it's Weezer and it's not Say It Ain't So or El Scorcho, you're like, oh God, where's the Weezer I love? <laughs> sure. It's it's pretty flawless. Matt, do you, do you think that if they... Um you know, if if that that point where Rivers like detached from music and like had the operation or whatever, as he was going back to school, like if he just stopped, do you think if they were less prolific, do you think that they'd be as a band looked at differently? Would it be like a neutral milk hotel thing where like they don't have to put out records? Like you know, it's it's they don't get criticized because they stop before they could. Legacy is yeah. secure. One of, one of my right. favorite essays I've ever read was from Chuck Klosterman in an alternate universe. He proposed an alternate universe where. Rivers dies young and Kurt Cobain lives to make as many albums as Weezer has. And he goes, he said like those two Weezer albums would be looked at as just these masterpieces. And we would spend all of our lives wondering what if, what if Rivers Cuomo mm. lived? Like what beautiful music would he make? He goes, and who knows Kurt Cobain like could have, in his 40s or 50s, pulled like an Eric Clapton on like MTV Unplugged doing like a loungy version of Lithium or something. Like, like you have no way of telling like what could have happened. And something that they brought up on that podcast that I mentioned that now I hear it constantly is uh, he said that Rivers Cuomo is the Brian Wilson of the 90s generation. 
Um, and his point being that like you can find he has what four albums that he's put out that are just demos that he recorded in his house that will never be mm. turned into actual songs. Like he is just prolifically writing song after song after song after song, and then taking these hundreds of song ideas and whittling them down to the 10 that he thinks people will like. And sometimes he's right and sometimes he's wrong. Right now, the most recent thing they put out was that they released four EPs over a single year called Seasons, where each album feels like the season of that release. So they released it on the first day of spring, and it was seven songs that yeah. feel like springtime, seven songs that feel like summertime, seven songs that feel like fall, and seven songs that feel like Damn. winter. And they had different producers that would help them capture those sounds. And it's just, he's, I think he's doing a lot of Brian Wilson later years Beatle, uh, Beach Boys stuff where he's like wanting to do these concepts and wanting to do these rock operas and wanting to, yeah. to do more and more. But he's kind of at this tug and pull of like, what he wants to do and what he knows the fans want to hear. Because if you if you were to Google right now what a Weezer set list looks like in 2023, it's almost all blue and Pinkerton and then a few songs from later albums kind of like gently peppered in because he knows that that's not what the audience is coming to a Weezer show for. But I, I, I don't know. I've always... I would rather... And maybe this is why I love Weezer and I love Green Day is I would rather a band that I like try something different and fail than yeah. a band that I like survive by putting out the same album that I like every three years. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Or, or like, longer. As a person who loves Blink-182 or loves Alkaline Trio or loves a lot of these like punk, no FX, MXPX, like all these bands, you put on an MXPX album from 2023 and put on an MXPX album from 1993 and the only difference is the production value. But like, like they've never really pushed themselves creatively, mm. so I'll I'll stand mm. for the occasional lukewarm Weezer album if it's you know an effort to push things forward. Um, things did pick up for Weezer later on, and I'm going to send you another link. Ooh. Uh, so Make Believe came out. People were really harsh on that record because of Beverly Hills. <laughs> uh, it was followed by the Red album, which people were also lukewarm on i don't think people fully hated it but they did this interesting thing where rivers sang half of the album and then all of the other guys got to sing lead vocals on the b side of the record and uh none of them are rivers so people were like well the first half's really good but <laughs> like i don't i don't want patrick or brian or scott singing songs i just want rivers <laughs> singing my songs and then admittedly their darkest period is ratitude and hurley they they hit some lows there but then I just sent you a link to a song called Cleopatra. It appeared on an album they put out called Everything Will Be All Right in the End. And it was the epic return of Rick Ocasek of The Cars, who mm -hmm. produced the Blue album and he and the Green album. He worked on those two albums. He came down and he really brought us back to what Weezer is, which is interesting song structure, crunchy guitars and like weird dorky personal stuff so this is cleopatra off of everything will be all right in the end all right oh yeah this cover it's like some twisted where the wild things are yeah stuff yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I do this. like that I, I love that alone series that he did it was, it was like so uh, like bob dylan's bootleg series or something where some of the songs it was like this should have been on this yeah. record or, you know, this could totally, this doesn't even need to be fleshed out as great as it is. The third one, the Pinkerton one, you could only buy if you, you got it as a bonus to a book that was his journals 
from when he was writing Pinkerton. <laughs> like, it was like a very interesting, like get inside. He's, he's so, he's such an interesting artist to me because he's so closed off from his fans, but also such an open book simultaneously. Like it's very, don't they do cruises it's very and stuff? Weird. Yeah. I have a book that I read to my daughter called the history of rock. Yeah. And there's a there's a page on Green Day and the thing no, not Green Day on on uh, on Weezer and it says uh, something about them doing cruises like each song gets like a like a each, each band gets a sentence and theirs is about cruises which I thought was funny because <laughs> yeah. I, I wasn't even aware that they the, did cruises the, the good old fashioned Weezer cruise. exploring melodically i always see, i hear him being like is there a more interesting way to do this what's another idea i can fit in here and he can also just shred the guitar i feel like that's been like a very forgotten thing about him as a guitar player like i feel like this song is just like jumping from genre to genre in a short three minute Maybe this is the weirdest classic rock group we get. <laughs> it's the weirdest 90s classic rock. They're not resting on their laurels. Like, no, I'm they not, definitely are not. I'm not hugely knowledgeable on this band. I know the big songs, but it's like, clearly they're still searching. They're not just yeah. like, oh, this worked. We can just generate this and make it easier on ourselves. It's like he's still, it's a, it must be a compulsion. Yeah, and it, I mean, now we're hitting, it's so funny because you had this, this short period where, you know, they they put out the Blue Album, Pinkerton comes out shortly thereafter, and then nothing for five years. The band was essentially gone. Matt Sharp goes off and does the the rentals. They come back and do two albums, and then they disappear again. Like it was kind of it was kind of like they would do these two album bursts, disappear, and now suddenly we're in this batch where it's like since since roughly. Africa when they did the Africa cover it's been like an album at minimum an album a year but in many cases two or three albums in a year like where they're just like he's just spitting out songs now Jesus. some good some bad <laughs> um but the last song I wanted to um, we're working chronologically into their newest uh newest stuff um I haven't fully digested the season stuff so I wanted to go with a song that I have I remember when this song and video came out, I watched it and I immediately said, this is going to be the best Weezer album since Pinkerton. 
and I still stand by that, honestly. Mm. Uh, they, right in the middle of the pandemic, released an album called OK Human, which is uh. a clear parody of OK Computer from Radiohead. Uh, and it was, they want it to get back to analog. Um, so they record it and released an album, record it old school, like 1970s. We're all in a bit, we're all in an area together just playing live to track, but they did it with an orchestra um, backing them up and did this song called All My Favorite Songs that just, <laughs> like, it's perfection. Um, and it's not as rock or or loud or crazy as the two other ones, but it's, this This I feel like is the prime, the most prime example of what I mean when I say this dude is our, this dude is the 90s kids, Brian Wilson. So here is uh, All My Favorite Songs. You know, obviously he's a, uh, tunesmith, you know, I don't think anyone, whether they like Weezer or not, would be able to argue that, you know, he's, 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 he's not one, but I, I feel like, uh, his personality sometimes is almost even more interesting than the music yeah. that he's oh, generating for, for sure. Cause he's, he's so, uh, difficult to kind of suss out. Uh, yeah. I think it was in that same essay, essay by Chuck Klosterman, but he, he wrote something where he said like, People complained because Weezer wasn't writing songs about that uh, about them anymore because so many people saw themselves in Pinkerton. Mm. But he's like, the reality is that Rivers has only ever written songs about Rivers, and like, it's hard to relate to a guy as weird as he is. So like, there was just this one to two album span where we were on the same page as this guy. <laughs> but like, how can you really relate to a dude who, on two separate occasions? at the peak of rock stardom took sabbaticals from sex and to go back to Harvard to get a master's degree. Like the, Nerd. the average radio listener is not going to connect with that at all. Nope. But here we go. All my favorite songs. All my favorite songs are slow and sad. All my favorite people make me mad. It's going for a pop. Everything that feels so good is sounds incredible. <laughs> like, you should go for it at this point. I'd love to hear that. But that's th those are my three examples for that. I could do a whole second series about Green Day in a similar vein, but it's mostly the same point. Like, 
I at the time that Warning came out, it was it it tanked their career until American Idiot kind of revived it. But now I look at Warning and I'm like, this album's brilliant. Like it's like a truly brilliant release. I like that record. Yeah, I remember buying that record because uh, I was really into. Um, oh, what was the album? Uh, Nimrod. Uh, with yeah, Nimrod. Uh, I love that record and. Yeah, and I, I remember not thinking anything yeah. of of warning. I was just like, "Oh, this is another good Green Day record." Yeah. The more the uh, I didn't know. I wasn't reading the critics yeah. at that point in my life. I was a kid. I just think that at the at the end of the day, they're they're trying something new. They're trying something different. And same thing with Weezer. When the Green album came out, it was terrible. And now people look back at it, and it's pretty good. Maladroit, same situation. Like you said, it's. It's an over it's an underrated album now because at the time that it came out, everyone was like, This is garbage. What is this? This isn't the Weezer that we like. Now it's like mm-hmm. Keep Fishing's probably in their top ten songs of all time. It's so good and catchy. Like, there's just always when we go into a lot of these legacy and that, that's what they are at this point. Green Day and Weezer are probably our biggest nineties legacy artists. Like yeah. And maybe Pearl Jam and Smashing Pumpkins. Like there's there's so few bands from that early part of the nineties that are still around. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. or at least with like what it started later. as. You know, like Allison Chains has a different singer. There's only this handful of bands from when we were kids discovering music for the first time, or at least for me. I'm speaking for me at 37. But like when you were discovering music for the first time, that still survived. And I think because of that. The only difference between what Weezer and Green Day is doing that any of those other bands, with the exception of Pearl Jam, is like the other bands aren't here to keep putting out new music yeah. 30 years after the fact. <laughs> like, like I, I think Alice in Chains would be terrible in 2023. I think that Soundgarden wouldn't be as good in 2023. Nirvana would not be on the radio, period, in 2023. Like, it's just like, right. like a lot of these artists, it's just like they, they burned out before... They put out their bad records, but I think that every one of those, especially Kurt Cobain, Kurt Cobain would have experimented with some weird albums that people would have hated like 15 years into Nirvana easily. <laughs> like, well, he would have lost uh, Grohl to the Foo Fighters. So, I mean, so much Nirvana sound is those I think Grohl would have, listen, Grohl is in enough bands simultaneously, he would have done both. Yeah, right, right. I think that dude drums in like eight bands. Uh, Finlier, <laughs> where did you, because you're definitely more of a Weezer guy than me. Was there a point where you dropped off with them or are you still keeping tabs on them? Yeah, after Maladroit, and when I first heard uh, Beverly Hills, it was like, you know, it's kind of exactly what Matt was talking about, where I was just um, completely turned off by that sound. And also, he was talking a lot of shit, like, in the in the media at that point, kind of saying, like, I, I write hundreds of songs. Like, I, I construct, I'm, I'm a mathematical guy with songs. Like, it was, I remember it was, that, yeah. There was a period where it wasn't coming off well. And it was like around that time too. And I think that the the that those things happening simultaneously, that him talking the loudest about his the mathematical science behind his music, and then that song coming out was just like, oh no, he's gone down a terrible path. And then I just checked out. I feel like the the person from that era that I almost compare him to is like Billy Corgan, where it's like Smashing Pumpkins puts out decent enough records, but like Billy Corgan is the worst PR for his own band half the time, where like I remember like right after Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness, he said something along the lines of like, 
we're going to buy, we're going to write the lullabies of the next generation. And then it was like, mm. what does that even mean? Like, what yeah, he talks this? like Kendall Roy sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> like he said, talk. was it like the most recent interview? They asked him his feelings of when Kurt Cobain died. And he was like, well, it was a real bummer. Cause I wanted to get to number one by my own efforts. Not because the other guy tapped out. Uh, and it's like, <laughs> it's like, what the oh. hell does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, like who said that you were next in line? I'm pretty sure it would have been Eddie Vedder for starters, but like. probably not second place. Yeah, yeah, and I don't think Rivers is that person. It was just like that point in time, and it just coincided with this record that, like, yeah, I think was jarring for a lot of Weezer fans before that, and didn't feel personal in the way that the uh, the other records did. And you know, Matt addressed these things, you know, lyrically what was happening, and um. Yeah, and, but and I think that those earlier records were so good that you could just kind of cling to that. You know, it wasn't like you you didn't need a new Weezer record. I I think I look at it the same way that I look at when people complain about remakes to a certain extent. Yes, they're going to remake movies. No one's kicking in your door and taking away your copy of the original version of that movie. Right. Like Weezer can put out all the albums they want. No, they're not going to just because Weezer put out a new album doesn't mean that they're also going to steal your copy of the blue album in Pinkerton and you're not going to be allowed to listen to it anymore. So, like, I just don't understand the desire to, like, have them just recreate those two albums over and over again. I Like I said, all my favorite songs does not sound like something you would find on that on those albums. But I like that they push themselves to that point of like, let's do an, a whole album with an orchestra. Yeah. And see what that sounds like. And I think it works in a really weird way. It worked. Yeah. And also, if you're going to have the resources that they have now. Yeah. Why not? Like, <laughs> yeah. Like Go to, nuts. Do, you know, whatever the muse tells you. Like, you could you could do it. You should do it. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely recommend that everything will be all right in the end and okay human as a two, two really big one. And a lot of people really love the White Album, too, which I, I enjoyed, but I didn't dive into it as much as other people have. But those seem to be the three albums in the last few years that even like the biggest Weezer haters have been like, you know what? These are actually pretty good CDs <laughs> and the seasons ones have been all really good. So, well, I feel like the takeaway here, it's better to just generate a lot and some of it sure you can make fun of, or it's, it's jarring from what the fan would expect, but there's something to be said for just continuing to work and release. And you know what? Some of it still, if you're exploring and you're not afraid to do something new or be ridiculed, at the end of the day, you get the last laugh. It's like Weezer could have played it safe or kept it simpler, kept it more bare bones or more in line with what they're known for. But uh, that's more boring. That's, that's just not as satisfying. And the other thing we learned is that, uh, you know, you got to dig into uh, too old to rock and roll, too young to die by uh, Jethro <laughs> oh, Tull. Yeah. Just really sink your teeth oh, into I that will, record. <laughs> I'm not, it was so funny as you were talking about Jethro Tull and I knew that I was going to talk about Weezer. I was like in such a weird way, these, these two bands kind of parallels <laughs> intersect repeatedly and just like groups people love to punch down on. Yeah. Groups that are really freaking weird. <laughs> like, yeah. Groups with Prolific. insane outputs. Like. Yeah. Just like crazy work ethic in those, those bands. I actually kind of want to listen to that Hurley record just because everyone shat on it so intensely like it was it was like like it was radioactive i don't hate hurley as much as everybody else but i would still put it probably at the bottom of my like if i was ranking the weezer albums it would still mm -hmm. be pretty low like probably the lowest point on that record to me is a song called where's my sex 
which is completely built off of his wife meaning to ask, where's my socks? And she said, where's my sex? And he was like, I can write a three and a half minute long song about uh, that. <laughs> that mathematical so, model broke down a little bit there. You are. <laughs> Not enticing me to listen to this album. No, but I mean, I look, still Hurley, wanna... is a, Hurley is an interesting experiment is all I'll say. Uh, I mean, the song Memories is fun, but... Uh, that's that's pretty much where that one starts and ends for me. <laughs> well, uh, Matt, it was an honor and a privilege having you on today. I really appreciated uh, you contributing your takes. And if you want to promote any one of your thousand podcasts at this time, or what, do, what do you got going on <laughs> that you want uh, the folks at home to hear about? Um, I'll say that your audience specifically would probably really enjoy One Hit Thunder, oh, yeah. uh, which is a show that I do with my buddy Chris. Um, every week we deep dive into a one hit wonder, sometimes with a guest, sometimes just by ourselves. Uh, sometimes it's an artist I've never heard of and I, and I get my mind changed fully, uh, on it. That recently happened with, uh, Jane Child. I'd never heard, uh, Don't Want to Fall in Love by Jane Child from 1990, but that song rips. She was supposed to be the female prince. She's dope. Uh, I have no clue when that episode will come out because that was one of the, Many 40. episodes I just recorded. Yeah, one of the 40 that we recorded this week. Um, and then also, if you like deep diving into some dorky stuff, weird algorithm, uh, we've had some really, really cool guests. I, I've i never been more proud of some of the guests that we've had on that show, specifically uh, me being a sketch comedy nerd. Um, Paul Shear came on our show to talk about uh, this song is just six word long. So I was like, that's amazing. You know, if you want to hear people who really, really, really love Weird Al explain why he is deservingly one of the most respected musicians, check it out. That's awesome. Uh, Thin Layer, you got anything? Uh, you got any big shows coming up, Mr. Uh, Torn Every Which Way? I got a show. Yes. Uh, so in August, uh, I believe it's August 29th as a show at Les Poissons Rouge in the Lower East Side in New York. It's probably one of the bigger venues I've played in the city and be opening for a band uh, from Ireland called Hermitage Green. Uh, so come on out. Tickets are available now. I think they went live this past week. So uh, come out, see me, talk to me about which episode of the podcast you hate the most. <laughs> and I'll just mention I, I still got uh, my show coming up at Anna Bandera Chocolates in Northampton, Massachusetts. Uh, later this month, Friday, June 30th at 6.30, uh, Wayman and I will be singing some Niagara Moon tunes and uh, no cover charge. Come get some hot cocoa. And uh, besides all that, uh, if you enjoyed this episode of Losing My Opinion today, go ahead and leave us a rating or a review. Subscribe so you never miss a future episode. You can follow Losing My Opinion on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. And uh, what happened today? I, uh, I'm, I'm positing Jethro Tull as the weirdest band of 70s classic rock, and I could be wrong now. But I don't think so! <laughs> uh, so long, suckers. We'll see you next week. <laughs>